Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And in this verse, Paul depicts a key goal of the gospel as the transformation of the mind. And this mind transformation, he says, is the means of discerning the will of God. Through this, we can understand the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. This mind transformation is part of being, he says, a living sacrifice acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship. This captures, I think, the depth and meaning of the Christian life. And if we've missed this, if we've missed the mind transformation, the living sacrifice, we've missed Christianity. And Paul in Romans is describing how it is we might miss this. Romans begins with an argument about the law and the extent of its application. And then it concludes in chapter 7 that the law itself is bound up with the problem. This problem is described in terms of an alienated subjectivity. That is, we're in an agonistic relationship, an agonized intellect, a futility of mind. There is the problem. There is what is overcome and what Paul is describing. And in this understanding, death reigns. And there's a marked absence of the Trinity. You know, the law of the mind may serve in place of the transformation of the mind. And the law of the mind can serve in place of God. I think what this transformation of the mind is talking about is God indwelling us in the Holy Spirit. In chapter 7, you know, the ego serves the kind of the subjective position, actually taking the place of Christ that we know in chapter 8. Christ is the subject position that we're to occupy. And then Romans 8 pictures the result of being in Christ rather than in law, that where death reigned, you know, the law of sin and death in chapter 7, in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit reigns. In 8.2 it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is, we're not going to get this mind transformation this side of the law. We have to get over that understanding. And the picture in Romans 8 is of a transformed mind and experience. The life of the mind in participation with the Trinity. Chapter 8 verse 6 The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, 
no mind transformation in that fear but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba Father we're adopted as brothers and sisters of Christ the children that take up the same attitude of Christ in both suffering and in adoption this is chapter 8 verse 16 and 17 the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him and so here I believe is the fullness of Paul's transformation of the mind participation through the son by the spirit in the love of the father this is salvation this is mind transformation and of course anything short of this is law and in Romans Paul is trying to deepen the Romans understanding of the faith let me say that a different way maybe they have a, a kind of trivial notion of the faith inasmuch as it is tied to the law and I'm going to explain the word trivial here Paul would dispossess them of this obstacle I believe we have an obstacle in our way to the mind transformation Paul is talking about and this obstacle is in and through the law the law as focus reduces to signs to scruples to mores such that the letter is reified you know this is this, the letter kills and the spirit gives life the spirit is bypassed and as a result death reigns and so where the law is set aside now I'm going to talk about this what, the, the, what we're talking about when we say the word law but where it is set aside there is entry into personhood and by personhood we mean two things first of all the personhood of God we know that God is not a law God is not simply one who gives law so we know God in his person and of course this includes our personhood that we fully become persons in knowing the personhood of God through Christ Jesus and as they encounter one another in human experience and the mind, human intelligence, this brings about the mind transformation Paul is describing. So let's do two things. We'll describe the obstacle to the mind and then the transformation, what this amounts to. And so we know Paul says the letter kills. And what will keep us from the deep things of the gospel is a focus on the trivial. Now this trivial focus is not simply part of the problem. What I'm saying, and I think what Paul is saying, this is the problem of being focused on the law and thus missing the gospel. Being focused on the law and actually missing God. So by trivial, clearly, the results are evil. It's not that they're trivial results. The focus on the law is what killed Christ right why did they kill him well he didn't keep the, the sabbath laws he threatened their tip in other words the thing that killed him was he was a threat to the law 
But think too of today the crisis, for example, in both the Catholic and evangelical churches. Priestly celibacy has given rise to a culture of child abuse. We don't want our priests to be married, but we'll tolerate child abuse. Purity culture, we've talked about that in evangelicalism or in conservative Christian churches. Or the idea of male dominance in the church has given rise to a culture of sexual abuse and criminality in Protestant and Christian churches. Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. You all may not be familiar with this book, but it was a very popular book. Sex crimes have flourished in this focus upon trivial things. In other words, the trivialization of the gospel by focus on the law simply repeats the human problem. Majoring in minors means that we miss the majors. It leaves the devil with the majors. The cultural imperialism that gave rise to genocide of Native Americans. They're digging up the graves right now of Indian schools in both Canada and the United States. These children, Native American children, taken from their homes and families, put in these schools where there's been a continued systemic destruction. And they're finding hundreds of graves of children at these Christian schools. They were literally killing the children. Where the attempt to Christianize means living according to a particular cultural standard, where it means speaking a certain language, where it means living up to the scruples of an imagined set culture, law reigns, trivialization reigns, the letter reigns. And there is not mind transformation. The New Yorker magazine this week ran an article about a decades-long reign of terror in a, a children's uh, sort of an orphanage, but it was called the Child Observation Station. Thousands of children came through this system over a decades-long period of time. And the whole point of the child observation station was aimed at eliminating masturbation, bedwetting, and sexual excitement in children. And the children were injected with a regimen of drugs including epiphysate, which is actually an extract derived from the glands of cattle, which veterinarians used to suppress estrus in mares and cows and their beds and underwear contained sensors in which they were monitored 24 hours a day. And if there's any infraction, they were given torturous punishments. Dr. Maria Nowak Vogel, who was a devout Catholic, this was a good Christian institution. She was the founder and head of this institute who spent her life and career trying to eradicate masturbation and bedwetting, which she considered the sure signs of decadence. And of course, as a result, you have thousands of children that have been traumatized and more or less tortured. The modern attachment to law or trivialization of the faith is certainly not trivial in its consequences, evil consequences. 
but in its majoring in minors and thus giving rise to a kind of destructive bondage, it misses the depth of salvation. Rather than mines for transformation, people become focused on the trivialities of the law, law-keeping. And understood in this way, there is a parallel between Paul's depiction of the law as a kind of captivity to signs, you know, a kind of trivializing captivity to signs, circumcision, the signs of Judaism, or to the surface of texts, reading the, the Old Testament apart from the, its center to be found in Christ, or to, to the cultural imperatives of Judaism or Gentilism. That's what he's facing in these various churches. You know, people arguing for circumcision or the way that you eat. Paul's saying, let's get to the meat of things. Don't get hung up on these obstacles. But I think the same obstacles are posed by modern reason, by what is called classicism. And the idea here is just a cultural kind of immutability, foundationalism, or what we've been talking about, justification theory. That is, the unfolding of Christian history and theology repeat the failures and we must rediscover the insights. In parallel terms, maybe different words, the obstacles and insights that Paul is tracing in the course of Romans. Because I think that problem is always our problem. And that solution is always our solution. They're parallel as there is a universal problem for all time and in every place and culture. And the theological task or the Christian task is to realize once again in this present moment in what these barriers consist and how they are overcome. I think that's why we come to church, right? How do we do this? How does it apply? The barrier of the law in the way that I've described it, poses the universal bondage. As long as we are subject to this bondage, our minds are not transformed, and we cannot be a living sacrifice. And so salvation for Paul is not deliverance from hell, but the transformation of humans from being subjects of the law to subjects participating in divine love. So as to be living sacrifices. And what he describes then, moving to my second point, is the spirit gives life to the mind. This is the impetus behind Paul's writing. It's the impetus behind the work of what we all do as Christians. The conversion of the mind. The transformation of the subject. The rise of a new form of consciousness, including our own self-consciousness. God you know, the essence of reality, we don't just passively intuit or grasp by sight or images, you know, which just leaves God a kind of object out there. But God in Christ presents himself for the understanding. We have to transform our minds. We have to apprehend. We have to be actively in the business of, first of all, we're apprehended by God and we apprehend as part of human decision and judgment. And so being a Christian, doing theology, 
It's not a mere matter of logic, just simply learning rote doctrines, but it's a matter of deep understanding of transformation. And this movement is from a life driven by desire, by eros, uh, desire in Romans 7, in which one is left desirous of life that is lacking. And to one, we are moving to a life filled with divine life and love. I'm about to quote from one of my former students, Ryan Hemmer, and he's just written a book, a quite brilliant book. And this is the way that Ryan puts it. God affects the redemption of humanity from every consequence of, of sin by making the divine life the innermost constitutive element of human life. And this is always the movement of salvation. It is God's gift of God's self to the psyche that both completes the psyche's native transcendental erotic orientation and elevates the psyche itself. That is, we have this desire that is only completed when God's life, God's self, becomes part of our life. Divine constitutive meaning rejects the normative claims of classicism and liberates the psyche from the narrowness of its vision to a historically minded perspective, capable of bearing witness to the soteriological vector operative in the law of the cross at work in every culture and every age. Let me translate. The historically minded perspective, that is we take in history, we take in every culture and age. We don't seek to escape history through some immutable form as in classicism and in this it pertains to what it means to be human the idea here of the law of the cross this is the kenotic self-giving of God on the cross the gift of God's self to us the divine subject gives himself to the human subject and psyche sharing himself of course the picture in Romans 8 and so salvation for Paul is not about missing hell, missing punishment, going to heaven, but it is about life, about life being lived more abundantly. Between Romans 7, he's describing a kind of form of oppression, you know, no life of the mind, a mind that is turned in against itself. And then in chapter 8, he's describing the life of the mind, full participation in the life and love of the Trinity. And so we, we see the movement from despair, oppression, death, into joy, peace, life, and participation in the Trinity. This gift is what theologians call the grace of charity. And it is offered by the divine ground to the eros of the psyche. Through the divine initiative, the transcendent measure is given to the psyche and through the psyche to the community. The concrete form of agopic integrity, the revelation of attunement with the divine ground is a visitation of humanity by soteriological truth, salvation truth, saving truth. In Christian theology, the truth of agopic attunement 
is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth. The psychic integrity that measures the integrity of the community is accordingly the just and mysterious law of the cross, God's self-giving. The love that returns good for evil, that transforms evil into good, that would lay its life down not only for one's friends, but also for one's enemies. So the gift of salvation through, through faith is nothing less than the gift of God himself given to each of us. God, you know, in Romans 8, is Abba, Father. Through identifying with the faithfulness of the Son, communicated through the Spirit. And so the measure of the gift is not according to the law, it's not according to culture, it's not living up to certain scruples, but it is measured and recognized by the law of the cross, the love that returns good for evil, that transforms evil into good, that would lay its life down for one's friends and one's enemies. And so salvation is a twofold agopic invitation in which one is invited to receive the divine agape and then to embody it in one's own existence. Now the problem with agape, the problem with love, we're talking about pure personhood in both the giver, you know, the capital G, God giver, and its recipient, us. And it does not and cannot rely on impersonal law, static doctrine, or immutable institutions. And so the human tendency is to pass beyond love, or before love, to that which is static and subject to control. But I think we live in a time, you know, culture is undone, the church is in a failed crisis. We're in a kind of postmodern moment. It calls for the suspension of anything impersonal essence, you know, a kind of institutionalism. As the divine ground, this is Ryan, of world transcendent meaning is communicated to the various matrices of human culture through the incarnate proclamation of the law of the cross. All cultural pretension, all universality, all normativity and permanence are invalidated and undone. What are we about? We're about the transformation of people. You know, even Albert Einstein, who coins our term relativity, he understood, he didn't mean this, that truth is relative. He meant that, oh, you have to count the scientist into the observation, that it's relative to a person. And so too, in this understanding, we're talking about divine personhood and human personhood. And so metaphysics, or the, the study of you know, the, the being of the world, that no longer serves as the sure and certain ground. It's the being of God and the being of persons. It's cognitional theory. The transformation of the mind. This overturns metaphysics as the critical ground for understanding, for ethics. Meaning is not to be found in some objective, stable structure. Where do we find meaning? Within persons. 
not in books, not in propositions, not in doctrines. We find meaning in persons and in transformed minds, in understanding, in our understanding and, and intelligence and the understanding that God shares with us in Christ. And so science itself really has been transformed. It's no longer the sure knowledge of things through their causes, but it's a method of understanding. And so too, theology or Christianity can no longer presume some singular point or some stable cultural foundation. The notion of culture as the social objectification of human nature, you know, a kind of immutable, universal achievement, crumbles with the discovery, oh, there are many cultures, and these cultures have many values, and there is no singular monocultural understanding. And so the theological, the Christian task, is to be able to affect a mediation of revealed meaning within this multiplicity through minds, through persons. The mediation of meaning is not through institutions. And I think we tend to think of the church as an institution that just kind of automatically conveys the meaning. No, the church is people. And the people are made up of minds and intellects and their transformation. And that's the only way meaning is conveyed. It's not institutional. It's not structural. It's not doctrinal. It's not propositional. It's personal. This is Bernard Lonergan, and Ryan is doing his book on Lonergan, as he puts it. The root of the problem, I believe, its really baffling element, lies within the subject, within each one of us. For the problem is not solved merely by assenting to the propositions that are true, and by rejecting the propositions that are false. It is a matter of intellectual conversion, transformation of the mind, of appropriating one's own rational self-consciousness, of finding one's way behind the nature of nature, the thought of thought, of words, of books, of propositions and proofs, of concepts and judgments, to their origin and their source, the nature of nature, the thought of thought, that is oneself as intelligent and as reasonable. And so the participation in divine life is the discovery of oneself in intelligence and meaning at the same time as it's the discovery of God. We discover ourselves. And conversion is a transformation of the mind. It is an intellectual conversion. It penetrates behind nature, taking into account the, you know, the very meaning of meaning. These don't reside in books, in propositions. They reside within the mind. It is not that you know, we grasp all of God, but the encounter with God begins with human understanding and experience. And pursuit of the experience and meaning of God is an endless growth. This is our business for eternity. Growing into his likeness, which is initiated with human thought, intelligence, and experience. The movement, then, of the book of Romans, from law, misunderstanding, 
to transformation of the mind. I think this is the continual movement of the church. This is, describes the movement of the church through history. The church, Protestant and Catholic, has abdicated moral authority. Classicism, or the notion of a monocultural imperialism, has crumbled. Scientism, you know, the notion of absolute certain knowledge in science, has succumbed to relativity. Institutionalism, cultural imperialism, scientism, or maybe just foundationalism, they were never adequate ground for truth, capital T, truth. Because they leave out one thing, the centrality of the human subject, the centrality of the mind. So maybe each of these failures has made the turn to the human subject inevitable. That's all we've got left. But that's all we need. And it could be that this is the moment in which Christianity, in which theology, in which the church might once again find its proper place. Maybe Romans is read as, or should be read as an indictment of Christianity as we have it. An indictment of retributive justice captured by the law. An indictment of, of foundationalism or the notion that the law or propositions or doctrines are the foundation. An indictment of salvation as simply missing hell and going to heaven. An indictment of the notion that God is primarily known through law. And of course all this entails in classicism and the history of theology. It is an indictment, I believe, of the trivialization of Christianity as we have it. The transformation of the mind is the substance and goal of our journey as Christians. But to get to this substance, we must set aside a trivial trivialized Christianity for the true gospel Paul is proclaiming. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.